Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So uh, let's be clear, because it's not going to sound that way because of the verses we're reading. This is about the unconditional love of God, the amazing love that God has for us this is not based on behavior. <laughs> and the fact that he pursues us. But the verses aren't going to start sounding that way. <laughs> but I think it's really important to read them. So we're wrapping up Joshua. The last two chapters of Joshua are 23 and 24. Okay? And um, we're going to do Joshua. So I'm just going to read... These seven verses from Joshua 23, but it gets the whole feel. So Joshua's dying, and he flat out says, I'm old, guys. I'm about to die, and I really need you to get this, because I'm a little concerned that when I'm gone, that things aren't going to go well. And we have chapter 23 and 23. He actually has two gatherings. So he's, he says this twice, because this is really important to him at the end of his life. <clears throat> so in 23, he says, be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with the nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the name of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God, to the Lord your God as you have until now. And even that's showing some grace because they weren't always all that great even up till now. But, but the whole idea is Hang on to God and don't associate with the people that are serving other gods. Now, I want to make it clear. This is Old Testament thinking. Okay, because that's because we live in New Testament thinking. Uh, just recently, I heard someone teaching some stuff. And I thought, well, that sounds great if we were the people of Israel as the nation that was 4,000 years ago. But actually, it didn't work for them. So it wasn't so great even for them. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one's been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. Now, it's interesting because a lot of times this is repeated in Psalms. You, don't, you didn't do this by your own strength. You didn't do this by your weapons. You didn't do this by your arrows. God fought for you. God has delivered you. And yet the people did not just sit around and do nothing. So God delivered them, and yet they went out and fought. But God is saying, you fought with me, so just one of you routes a thousand. Now, what's interesting is there are other places, such as in Isaiah 30, where when the people disobeyed God, God said the opposite. He said, only one of your enemy will scare a thousand of you away. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, because at, at the time of Joshua's death, they have not gotten rid of all the people that they're supposed to push out. They, they haven't taken possession of all the land. So if you ally yourself with those that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, you may be sure the Lord your God will no longer drive out the nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you. Whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord has given you. So there's a great promise to hang on to. God's giving you this great land. Yes. But if you don't drive them out, 
you're going to find out they're going to lead you away. They're going to lead you straight. <clears throat> so bottom line, get rid of the things that are going to distract you and intimidate you. Get rid of the people leading you astray. Don't serve other gods, because if you serve other gods, you'll be removed from the land. Okay? Repeats it again, a whole other meaning. <clears throat> and in this one, I skipped the part, but he rehearses how God has moved them and delivered them all through, how God called them as a people, and all the amazing things God has done for them through Moses, even in, and then through Joshua's time. <clears throat> now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So basically, before Abraham was called, <clears throat> Abraham's family served other gods. But Abraham was called as the first patriarch not to do that beyond the Euphrates. And then while they were in Egypt, there were false gods they were exposed to. So serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose, you, choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And that's a famous quote. People often have it in little, <clears throat> little I don't know what you call them, monuments on your walls. Plaques, thank you. And I, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to tell anybody to take those down. But in the context of this, this isn't quite the promise you think it is. Okay? So Joshua's saying, me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. <clears throat> then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us, brought us and our parents out of Egypt. Yeah, because they just heard Joshua rehearse all this. <laughs> From the land of slavery and performed great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. What an awesome gathering this is. They're all getting together, and man, it's, it's like a big wedding, wedding feast, man. It's, we're all in here. We're submitted. We're committed. We're locked in. Joshua said to the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. Well, that's a nice leadership lead-in. <laughs> he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. Not totally true, but he's referring to the fact they'll get driven out. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he'll turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he's brought good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you're witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, Joshua said, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Quite a trip right there. Okay, they've been taken out of Egypt. They have all this have gone. They have foreign gods to throw away. I mean, that's a little bit of a trip to think about that. He has to tell them to throw away idols. And yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed within the decrees and the laws. It's the law of Moses. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And then he took a large stone and set it up under a tree near the holy place of the Lord. So this is in Shechem. And he sets it up as a witness of your testimony of what you promised to do. So this is all great. Fantastic, Joshua dies and things are going to just go golden. Except they don't. 
So then we go right from Joshua to the book of Judges. talks about how, how Joshua dies and all the elders and fighting men died. And then basically Israel, with all these promises and all this great thought, they forget it all instantly. I mean, the very next generation. And all Judges is just this ugly cycle of the people walking away from God. They don't drive out the other nations. They do intermarry. They do get inserted in idol worship. Because of that, God brings problems to them. Then they cry out for help, and God raises up a hero. That's really who the judges were, were like little heroes. And then they come back up and come back to God, and then things go well for 40 years, sometimes even longer. And then they just go right back again. It's this downward spiral. And what the lesson from all the judges is, people are forgetful. They're easily fooled. They are easily distracted and intimidated. They're enticed to sin. And as this cycle spirals down, and I'm not going to even say it because I don't even like to read it, especially out loud teach it. But by the end of Judges, they are so out of it, they are doing ridiculous, crazy, cruel things. I mean, like the worst things you can imagine, including murder and mayhem, they're, they're, they have fallen into all of it. I mean, the, the second to last story, and even the last story of Judges, it's like, what in the world is going on here? It's just crazy. Conclusion. The Old Covenant does not work. It cannot work with us. So this, is, this to me, is, is the bad news that leads to the awesome news. The whole gist of Joshua at the end, guys, here's a warning. Here's what to do. Here's what not to do, and it'll go well with you. If you don't do that, here's what will go bad with you. And almost to a letter, they don't do the good part. They do the bad part. And it's not picking on Israel. Israel was chosen of God. Doesn't mean he didn't choose other people. Really, what was Israel chosen for? They were chosen because they were weak. And really, what is what is the display? And really, all the Pentateuch and Joshua and Judges, and even when you get into First and Second Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, what is the overall lesson? The old covenant doesn't work. It just can't work. And God knows this. And God actually set up all of Israel in the Old Testament to teach us. Covenant ways will not work. He can do great things for us and try to have a deal with us, and it doesn't work. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews comes out and states this really clear. And he quotes Jeremiah 31, which is an awesome prophecy during actually a very bleak time in Israel when they were about to be taken away captive. It says, for if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place had been sought for another. By the way, the Old English term for covenant was also testament. So with the fact we have an Old Testament and New Testament, it isn't just about testifying. It's saying there's the book with the Old Covenant in it, and there's the book with the New Covenant. And it's really important we remember we live on the New Covenant. There's great lessons, there's analogies, there's neat truths in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, but that's not how we live. And a lot of it, it's not even written for us. It's written for a nation of Israel that doesn't even apply to us. So Hebrews says, when it's sought for another. And then this is where he starts quoting Jeremiah 31. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. You don't let that distract us. He's not talking about the physical nations here. You have to get this in context. There are times God does talk about the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. And again, at the time of the restoration, 
really what they had was people who were from the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and um, Levi. But they were still referred to as Israel. There was the nation. Then in context we see, but there are some promises that refer to the people of God, the new Israel. So some apply to nation. This case we get from context of Hebrews, but also the overall flow is those who have named the name of Christ have now been people that have been taken out of multi, many ethnic groups. Um, Ephesians talks about the great mystery of God, one of the two great mysteries. One of the great mysteries of God is he all along wanted to have a single people from every tribe, every ethnicity in the globe. And he wanted to have both Jew and Gentile. The word for ethnos, the word that's often translated Gentiles, is actually the word ethnos, which means all ethnicities. For example, where it said, um, Jesus said the Great Commission, go out to all the nations with the gospel, that actually had been translated, don't go out to the Gentiles. I mean, that's why I always find this so interesting about our mindsets, which is what I'm going to talk about today, is the Great Commission, we call it. The apostles received the Great Commission, and he basically told them, go out to all the ethnos. Or the other translation would be accurate, because that's what they called the Gentiles. Ethnos meant Gentile. Go to the in-shot, go to the Gentiles and proclaim the gospel. And Acts comes out, and they don't do it. And God has to have this crazy encounter with Peter, an encounter with Cornelius, to really break their mindset that the Gentiles were included in salvation. Even though he exactly literally said, go to the Gentiles. Because we get mindsets that get in the way. The mindset we're talking about today is, we're not old covenant, we're new. <clears throat> so this is the great covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Okay, Because we just read all about that. People proclaimed it. And right after they said, man, we are all in. This is awesome. The God that brought us out of Egypt, we're all in with them. And less than a full generation later, they're all away from it. So he says, because they didn't remain faithful to my covenant, I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant all established with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the old covenant says, I will be your God. Here's the, here's the details. You keep your part. I keep my part. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. And God says, you know what? That doesn't work. It cannot work because you can't keep it for a day. You just can't measure up. So I got a whole new plan. I'm going to write a covenant with you now where I'm going to write the laws on your heart and mind. So basically, I'm going to keep my part, and then I'm going to keep your part too. Because that way this can't fail, because I'm going to keep both ends of it. No longer will they teach their neighbors, say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Everyone will be intimately affirmed, intimately, sorry, intimately in knowledge with me, experiential knowledge with me, from the least to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Okay, that's good news, even if you just remember that. So, so, so how long will he remember our sins? No more. By calling this covenant new, now he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. There's a pastor named Andy Stanley who wrote a book called um, Irresistible. And I'm surprised. I have a lot of friends who are kind of losing their mind over this book because he says the Old Testament is obsolete. He's not saying he doesn't read it. He's not saying we don't learn from it. 
They say, but we don't use that as the pattern of what we, how we relate to people. And I'm kind of amazed people are losing their minds over it because this is directly out of Scripture, and I've looked at the original Greek. This is the word. He has made the old one obsolete. The Old Testament is actually obsolete. The Old Covenant doesn't apply to us. We are the covenant of Holy Spirit presence within. I'm going to take some liberty here because I know us and I know what we've taught here a lot before. But the whole idea is this new covenant is about God writing laws on our hearts and on our minds. It's about the very Holy Spirit, the very God of the universe, indwells in us. The Holy Spirit within us. We're a new creation and we're ambassadors of Christ. That's awesome. I love the fact, I mean, Scripture says a lot about we're ambassadors. But I think sometimes we end up being ambassadors of the wrong covenant. Sometimes our attitude towards people and our plan for them is we're trying to restore them to an old law. Not lawless. So we're saved by grace. Doesn't mean we're free to sin and do whatever we want. We're free from sin. Not free to just go do our own thing. So this is in 2 Corinthians 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. He's not saying there's license, you just go do whatever you want. Nothing, there is no such thing as doing a bad decision. No. His context, he's been talking about the old. He's been talking about even Moses, about how Moses radiated. After he had an encounter with God, he had a radiate, sorry, his face radiated light. He's, he's alluding to that. And he wore a veil over his face. But he's also referring to veil in the sense of, he says, when, when the uh, book of Moses is read now, because Paul slaughtered a heart for the Jewish people, he said, they're hearing it, but they can't receive it because there's a veil over their understanding. Mm -hmm. Peter actually carries the same theme in his epistles where he says, people have a veiling, a, a clouding of their judgment and their mind. Because sometimes we think we can reason or debate people into the kingdom. We can't. Because if it was up to their mind to intellectually grasp it, then God could have kept the new covenant. If we could actually grasp it and do it and obey it, that would be great. But it doesn't work that way. God has to remove a veil from our thinking, a veil from clouded thinking. Sometimes the way I feel like we talk about people, especially outsiders, is we almost feel like, wait, are you expecting them to like have godly wisdom on their own? Because we get judgmental and critical, and it's like, you know, their chance of really understanding God is about as good as ours was. And actually, as ours is. Because we only know by what is revealed to us. Okay, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, again alluding to the thing with Moses, reflecting the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So God is the Father, God is the Son, God is the Spirit. So with the Spirit indwelling in us, it is transforming us. You know, our, our goal here in teaching is not intellectual knowledge. Um, that's one of the things that I, I was just listening to an author recently about how they're changing their Bible school. Because they said they realized they were treating it like an academic knowledge. But knowledge doesn't transform your lives. Presence and aware of God's presence transforms your lives. Yes. Knowledge can help that, but it's really about presence. Yes. Okay, this is jumping way down to uh, chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians. So then, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. What is old has passed away, look what is new has come. And all things are from God, who reconciled to himself, us to himself through Christ. 
and who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Again, we're ambassadors. In other words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's trespasses against them. So if he's not counting their trespasses against them, why would I ever want to meddle with that? And he has given us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his plea through us. We plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I don't plead with you on Christ's behalf. Let me get your political view straight. I don't plead on Christ's behalf. Let's straighten up your life. My plea is God has paved the way for you to be reconciled to him. So be reconciled to him. Be with him right now. Experience his presence right now. Well, what if they weren't a believer? What if they're brand new? What if they're in the jail? Because I've met guys in jail. And they even go through this. It's interesting um, what Joyce is even saying, their view. Because their whole view is, I mean, I know this will be shocked to you. One of the nice things about talking to guys in jail, I've never had one of them saying, I'm just doing fine. Things are going great for me. So it's kind of nice because they know they have the need. I don't even have to bring up the need. What I bring up to them is, look, the hope is you can be reconciled right now. God made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. So our sin, actually the sin of the whole world, died with Christ. It was nailed on the cross with Christ. So that in him we become the righteousness of God. So I'm saying this because... <clears throat> Because as I'm wrapping up Joshua with you, I guess I want to get the big, the big powerful thing. It, it is nice that we have quotes like, you know, Joshua says, be encouraged, be courageous. But really, the overall lesson there is, Joshua made it really clear, here is the deal. Here is what's required in our covenant. And the people couldn't do it. And, it's, and they were just like any other humans. No nation could do it. God just picked that nation as the example. We are saved by the faithfulness of Christ. So that affects how we are ambassadors. It affects how we talk to people. See, my question is, in our attitudes and actions, which covenant do we represent? Because historically, and we can be real honest here, historically, the church, the Western church especially, not a great track record of representing Christ. We've done some horrendous things. Um, in Christ's name, I mean, there's all the old crusades, but even newer stuff. In Christ's name, horrible things have been done to people by people quoting the Old Testament. Um, one lesson, uh, a guy I listened to read, he says, you look at it, often what has happened is an oppressing people justified oppressing and other people by quoting Old Testament. And they said, what's funny is the scriptures they use were scriptures written to an oppressed people. But they were taking what was written to an oppressed people and justifying being the oppressor. And it's also the same thing, too. Like, like one of the things taught, and that's one of the to bring this up, Joshua said, don't intermingle with the people, stay away. And I mean, I have known, even in my lifetime, compared to the 70s and 80s, there were a lot of churches, I was in some of them. Let's have our own Christian school, let's have our own things, let's make our own little environment and build us a safe place. It'll be us here and the world is out there. Even old missions, you know, they talk about in India, the old missions, they built walls around their little place and they tried to have a little bit of America in India. And then they wondered why they didn't reach the people. 
because we're going to keep it safe. And it's interesting because Jesus said, all covenant, you can't let a leper touch you. He'll make you unclean and give you leprosy. Jesus shows up. He touches the leper. And Jesus' mindset was, no, no. My, my covenant, you reach the sick and you make them well. I'm not going to worry about the sick touching me and making me sick. No, I'm going to make them well. My wellness will go to them. It's a different mindset. And you know, how do we fight our battles? With whom? <clears throat> Say it a lot, but I, I think we can forget this sometimes in the heat of a moment or an argument. No human is my enemy. So the stuff that's in Old Testament about wiping out people and wiping out that, interesting story. They don't apply to us. God doesn't tell us to go out and wipe out a people. Um, some of well, not some of us, almost all of us are old enough. You know, it's, I don't, I don't, don't offend too much here, but uh, I was around in 79, 80, and 81, and like, oh, it's awesome, you know, Reagan's in the White House, and we're going to be the great moral majority, and we're going to take over, and we're going to get our people elected, and we're going to control everything. And it was like, this is a spiritual move. And me, I'm just going, that's funny. That is not a spiritual move I see anywhere in Scripture. Scripture has always showed the purpose of authority is to benefit others. Mm -hmm. So if you want to run for office, that's awesome. We, we need Christians in the office. But the attitude has to be, I'm going there to serve. I'm not going there to push my agenda. I'm going there to serve. And people can tell the difference. You know, in what and whom we are trusting. They're already worried about things that shake up. And in the new, the new way, I actually don't look to politics to solve it. Does it say I don't vote? No. Okay, I'm not going to, let's not go, don't read too much into this. I want you to follow the Spirit, including how the Spirit tells you to vote. But the whole issue is, am I going to trust in things man-made? Or am I going to trust in the God who made man? And Jesus is saying, like, you have the life in the Spirit and enjoy that. It's, um, sorry, I'm struggling here a little I was taught in school, well taught. The difference between a great presenter and a real teacher is a real teacher just looks for change. If it doesn't change the way you think, speak, or act, then you weren't learning. You were sitting into a nice visit. And my heart here is that we'd have a time, and I, I don't know if I put that question up. I'm going to look up here. No, I did. Okay. You can just close that minute because I actually didn't get that slide done. I want us to really learn the lesson from Joshua and Judges. God, I am not going to trust in myself. I am not going to trust in my ability to argue with my neighbor about his conspiracy theories. I am not going to trust one party over another. I want to enjoy your presence. Because really, the way to draw people to Christ is, the question is, the Spirit is now in us. Are you enjoying the presence of Christ in all things? Um, my hope, and I'm, at least this is my intent now, uh, for homework, I'd like you guys to read Psalm 139. My wife, and I, Carl, and I read it together about a week ago, and there's some things there that are haunting me in a really good way. Psalm 139 is about the fact that no matter where you are, God is there. And I'd ask you to reflect on that. 
God, why did you have David write this psalm about you being everywhere? And you notice it would ruin one of my punchlines. I'm going to ruin it. Because he says, even if I go to Sheol, and Sheol was considered the place of the dead. So he's saying, and some would say he's meaning the very depths of the earth. But the concept way back then when David wrote, because they didn't think of heaven and hell the way we do. Because some books say, some translations say, even if I were in hell. Now, Sheol means even if I was dead and buried and my head's laying down there, you're still with me. I mean, that was the first one of the first illusions, strong scripture of, oh, so God's with us even after death. But the whole idea is he's saying the saying of, no matter where I go, you were there. And I'd like us to meditate on that, really dwell on that for the next week. And then there may be other scriptures that come to mind. But I'm asking for the next two weeks, because next week will be a Mother's Day message, but the next two weeks, let's just really dwell on what does it mean that the very God of the whole universe is with me always, is with me intimately. And how does that change how I think, speak, and act? Because if we do that, we're starting to live by new covenant. Because that's what the new covenant was. Jesus died on the cross. That wasn't the ultimate goal of the gospel. Now, I don't want to sound like a heretic. The cross is central to the gospel. Okay, It is the central thing. I'm saved by the cross. I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. I appreciate that. But the cross is not the ultimate story of the Bible. The ultimate story of the Bible, the ultimate event is a wedding. The ultimate event is we are married and get to live with Christ forever. And we're his betrothed right now. That's the ultimate message is we are the bride of Christ. So let's meditate on what does that look like? How how will that change us? Because if we start enjoying a presence that way, people will start asking us, what is the reason for the hope that lies within you? And Paul says, then we'll be ready with the answer. And we will draw men to him. Amen? So Lord God, I do thank you for your time. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the lessons in Joshua. But I ask, Lord God, that we live as a New Testament people. I ask, Lord God, that we live in such a way that we experience you fully. So I'm even asking, Lord, even right now and in the weeks ahead, we experience more of you. We experience you intimately. We experience the power of your love and the fact that you pursue us and how awesome that is. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.